You know, when we live with the consequences of our sin, we feel that nobody's fair, nothing's right, there's no justice. Keep that in mind. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, Psalm 137. This is something we need to pay attention to because God is speaking to us today. We're gonna to talk about that in about five minutes time or a little bit less than that actually. But Corey is here with Ryan, Corey. Today, I'm going to be exploring the ancient high places in Israel and Judah. Ryan? Well, today, as part of my creation series through the Psalms, I'm going to be talking about the power of gravity. You know, gravity can explain a lot of different things. In fact, it can, as I get older. Anyway, uh, go ahead, Jam, what'd you do? Today, my segment is called Pick Up Your Harp. All right, very good. Well, get your Bible guide out, pick that up and turn to today's passages as we take the most important book of all the Bible and read, listen to what God says. Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there those who carried us away captive asked of us a song, and those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it to its very foundation. O daughter of Babylon, who are to be destroyed, happy the one who repays you as you have served us. Happy the one who takes and dashes your little ones against the rock. Psalm 137 We are reading Psalm 135 to Psalm 138, a couple of chapters in the book of uh, Psalms, uh, the book of singing, if you would, music. And uh, this is very important. Now, today we're going to focus on 137, 1 through 9. But you know, the Psalms are given to us to meditate and to pray. When we put that into practice, meditation and prayer, we learn much about God and how to interact with Him. In fact, one of the most asked questions I receive as a pastor is, how should I pray? Or how can I know that I'm talking to God really? Well, the truth is, God has already answered that question in the middle of his word, which we should all begin to read daily, by the way. You see, God provided us with the book of Psalms. Throughout time, this book has been called Israel's hymnal. It is God speaking through his people to us about who he is. And that means it is divinely inspired music. Like Psalms, which is interesting. God is speaking with us when we earnestly, desperately pray. And learning how to talk to God is simple and easy. We may not always want to hear what he is saying since the Lord has committed the truth, 
but his truth brings healing to our lives. Very interesting. Now, beloved, as we study today, I want you to remember that you can get a Bible guide if you don't have one. If you have one, turn to the passage, Songs of Truth, Psalm 137, nine verses. That's what we're going to study in the next five minutes or six minutes here as we look at this. But if you would like a Bible guide, call us or write to us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. When you go to that website, uh, there is a place where you can... Uh, Click on the Bible guide. It'll take you to a donate page. Thank you for your donations and a very important, but also it'll take you to a page called the PDF page and it'll, you can download it as it's printed. So that's really, really good. Keep that in mind. By the way, at that website, we also do a 24 seven streaming service. All of our programs that we produce here are put on that service. So uh, it's interesting and you can watch that. There's other things there too. You can also get it on Roku or Fire. TV, whatever you want, or Google television, whatever you want. Anyway, it's important. Now, this program is there. If you're watching on BibleDiscoveryTV.com, how you doing? Uh, but this is important. And Lord, I pray today as we focus on songs of truth, we're going to focus on, on the truth. And this world is built on lies. So help us to get truthful with ourselves and with you. And in Jesus' name, we pray and we ask, Lord, for you to help us today as we read the Bible. Amen and amen. Now, this is really interesting. Let's look at Psalm 137, beginning with verse 1. The Bible says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, there in Babylon. It is the time of the exile. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down, yea, and we wept. And we remembered Zion. Okay, so they're away and they're weeping. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. They stopped singing. For there were those or there those who carried us away captive. They asked us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Wow. We live in the consequences of our sin against God. We do not feel that anything is good or fair. Man, that is true. We need to trust in the Lord with all our heart, all of our heart, at all times. So many people have said to me, God doesn't care. God doesn't care. And I hesitate to share too much, but I can tell you that there was a person, a man, who had experienced adultery, two different women. And he was hurting. And he came to me and he said, God doesn't care. God doesn't care. Well, how do you deal with that? I told him, I said, listen, well, actually, don't do the adultery. That's how you get out of this pain. And it's really important that we listen to the scripture when it tells us if we sinned, Psalm 51 tells us this, let's Go back and ask forgiveness of our sin and not do it again. Very, very important. We need to hear that. Psalm 137 verse 4 says, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land, the land of exile? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. What does this mean? 
Jerusalem is the city of the Lord. And the Lord Jesus Christ will return to Jerusalem. I have an amazing announcement for you. Jesus Christ is coming back to Jerusalem. Second return. He is. So you can think whatever you want to think, but that's where Jesus Christ is going to come back. He says it in the Bible many places. That's where he's coming back. So pay attention. Very, very important. A lot of people don't realize that we're looking at end time scenarios here. And that's very real. Think about it and pray about it. Psalm 137, 7 to 9. Listen carefully. Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it to its very foundation. O daughter of Babylon, who are you to be destroyed? Now this, I want you to listen to this verse 8 carefully because this is important. O daughter of Babylon, he speaks to the daughter. Who are you or who are to be destroyed, happy the one who repays you as you have served us. Happy the one who takes and dashes your little ones against the rock. Man, that's, um, that's some serious stuff. That has a ring into it of the last days. We bless Jerusalem and look forward to being there with Jesus Christ. Those who bless Israel will be blessed, and those who curse her will be cursed. Those who bless Jerusalem will be blessed, and those who curse Jerusalem will be cursed. There's only one way to decide that or to, to figure out what that means. Don't do anything stupid. We bless Israel, and we say God has chosen you. We bless Jerusalem and say God will return there. We don't curse it because if we do, not a cool thing. So this is important to remember. When we focus on Jerusalem, God speaks to us about what he's going to do. And I just need to say, and, and you know, I'm going to be developing a sermon on this later in the year. And uh, it's the essence of Jerusalem with the name of Jesus Christ there. What I mean by name, I'll, I'll explain in the sermon. But that's where God is coming back. And I wonder if you've truly thought about that. Because you need to keep your eye on Jerusalem. They've had a lot of trouble there. Keep your, and there's a reason for that. Jesus Christ is returning there. So keep your eye on Israel and keep your eye on Jerusalem. The attention is focusing over there. That's what we need to remember. Father, we pray for Jerusalem. Bless it in the name of Jesus Christ, as you come back soon, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study, and I'm also carrying on with my series on creation as we read through the book of Psalms. And today and tomorrow, you and I are going to be discovering some things about gravity. 
Now, did you know that in ancient times, some people actually attributed the motion of the celestial bodies to spirit beings? It's true. Well, one of the discoveries made in the modern scientific era was that gravity, along with the laws of motion, is all that is needed to explain these movements. Gravity is just one of the four fundamental forces of nature. And believe it or not, it can explain a great deal about what we observe in the cosmos. Check it out. First described by Sir Isaac Newton in 1687, gravity is one of four known fundamental forces of nature. The other three are the electromagnetic force, the strong nuclear force, and the weak nuclear force. Though gravity is the weakest, it is also the only one that can act over cosmic distances. Indeed, gravity holds our solar system and galaxy together, which is an estimated 100,000 light years across. Not only this, but it appears that it also holds groups of galaxies together at billions of light years apart. Additionally, gravity can explain orbits, spheres, the triggering of nuclear fusion, black holes, and singularities. As Newton investigated gravity, he developed his theory of universal gravitation, as well as his three laws of motion. The first law of motion states that a body at rest will remain at rest, and a body that is moving will keep moving in the same direction and at the same speed, unless acted on by unbalanced forces. His second law states that when a force is applied to a body, it will accelerate its motion in the direction of the force. And the third law states that for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Using both gravity and the laws of motion, Newton was able to explain the orbits of the celestial bodies. Mars, for example, orbits around the Sun as it does, because there are two motion components working together. The first is Newton's first law of motion, pushing it in a straight line in the direction it is traveling. And the second is the Sun's gravity, pulling Mars into a straight line into the Sun. The net result of these two forces is that they balance one another into a near circular orbit. If the Sun all of a sudden were to shut off its gravity, then Mars would sail off into outer space. Conversely, if Mars were to stop its motion, then the Sun's gravity would take over and it would be sucked into the Sun. A rather recent and fascinating discovery is that everything in the galaxy orbits something else. Our planets orbit the Sun, but our Sun also orbits the center of the Milky Way galaxy. Therefore, it seems that in some way, the celestial objects are in concert with one another. This order and upholding of the universe strongly implies a master designer and creator. Indeed, Christian author Max Licato proclaims that by showing us the heavens, Jesus is showing us his Father's workshop. Do you know what astronomers see when they study the heavens? They see order, they see design, they see sophistication. Although a lot of these scientists deny that the heavens and all therein have a creator, Proverbs 3.19 proclaims that it was the Lord who by wisdom founded the earth and by understanding established the heavens. The astronomical data scientists are collecting more than agrees with that statement, though as I said, it's largely denied. But somebody who doesn't deny that data or the creator is author Kevin Hartnett, and he says this, We know about love because God is love. We know about fatherhood because God is a father. We know about beauty because God, the ultimate first cause of everything, is also beautiful. To the humble and worshipful of heart, every tiny piece of creation reminds them of the magnificent genius who fashioned it all. No item of creation, be it ever so beautiful, 
can convey the infinite beauty of the source. And to that I say a big amen. We'll continue the study of gravity tomorrow. That is amazing, Ryan. Um, very good, excellent piece. Corey? All right, well, we are currently reading through the section of Psalms that is called the Psalms of Ascent. And the idea here with the Psalms of Ascent is that they were meant to be read and sung on the way up to worship and to sacrifice at the Temple of God in Jerusalem. And this got me thinking of, you know, ascending up and sacrificing, and it got me thinking about ancient high places. Because as some of you have written to me and asked me questions and emailed me and commented on my YouTube channel, which I'm very grateful for. Some of you have asked me about the conflicting information that we get in the Bible about these high places. Were high places uh, areas where Israelites could offer acceptable sacrifices to God as we see them doing in the books of First and Second Samuel? Or were high places places of apostasy as we see, for example, in Kings and Chronicles? Well, let's dig in. How should we understand high places in the Bible? First, what were they? It's known that high places were set apart for religious practices and contained an altar for sacrifices. Though perhaps originally built on hilltops, there was diversity in their location, likely due to convenience and cultural significance. They could be built on hills and hillsides, in towns, in city gates, and even in ravines and valleys. Many, if not most, high places probably included other structures like outbuildings and walls. The Bible speaks of them as being built and destroyed. With the birth of Israel as a nation and the giving of the Mosaic Law, the practice of building altars and worshipping at high places was outlawed in Deuteronomy 12. Israel's worship was to be different than Canaanite worship and eventually be limited to a place where God would choose to put his name. During the conquest of the Promised Land, before a place for God's name was chosen, which presumably meant a place to put the sanctuary, Joshua built a high place on Mount Ebal. At some point during Joshua's life, though, the permanent sanctuary site was chosen, Shiloh. The tabernacle was pitched there and permanent religious structures were built up around it. The next period, that of the Judges, was a time of ever-growing religious apostasy. By the end of the book, we see the descendants of Moses ministering before idols and the tribes of Israel as largely descended into moral spiritual chaos. The lifetime of the last judge, the prophet and priest Samuel, saw much change, not the least of which was the destruction of the sanctuary precinct in Shiloh, though the tent tabernacle, altar, and Ark of the Covenant escaped destruction. Samuel was undeniably a man of God, yet he was a habitual user of the high places in Israel. He routinely sacrificed on them. After the Temple of Solomon was built in Jerusalem, the Bible establishes it became the new place of God's name. The authors of Kings and Chronicles began to judge the kings of Israel based on whether they attempted to remove the high places. So then, culturally, though there was a temple, a place of God's name, the people generally continued to use the high places. What we see in the Bible demonstrates that Israelite high places were seen as acceptable to God under the conditions that the practices conform to the worship of God and that they were being used in a time before an official place of the name had been chosen. This would explain why in Samuel's life, the high places were not criticized. Shiloh had been destroyed and apparently a new place had not yet been chosen. 
beyond this, Deuteronomy 12 does provide exceptions to the rule of sacrificing only at the official sanctuary. Animals were allowed to be slaughtered for consumption at any village, town, or city. This provision allowed for practical meat consumption and celebration without the burden to travel to the official sanctuary. You know, it always pays to really sit with some of the scriptures that seem to be offering conflicting information. It really, really will pay you dividends to pay attention when you're reading through books of the Bible. It's so helpful to know what laws existed specifically in Deuteronomy for the Israelites who were going to be moving into the promised land regarding their sacrifices. It's also, you know, we were helped out here by historians and archaeologists and scholars and, and, and some of the work that they have done in defining exactly what a high place was. You know, we call it a high place in English or Obama in the original language. So it's it's really helpful to, to also understand what it was, you know, um, culturally and contextually, as well as in the Bible. So I hope that has become more obvious for you. That's very interesting, Corey. Thank you for those reports, guys. Very good. Janice? Well, I'm, I titled this segment today, Pick Up Your Harp. And I'm going to take this psalm in a little bit different direction. So what we need to understand in Psalm 137 is that when this psalm was written, the Jews were living in Babylon in involuntary exile, and they were heartbroken. Uh, and we find out that they were just so sad about Zion. It says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there were those who carried us away captive, asked us to sing a song, and those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. You can just feel their sadness in this. The memory of Zion was painful for them, so much so that they refused to make music at all. We hung up our harps in the willows. And they took the words of their captors as taunts. We read that in verse 3. Now, it's important for us to recognize the love for Zion among God's people in the Old Testament. This love wasn't just for a place, but for its function in their lives, because it was in Jerusalem that the temple had been built, and the place was holy because of God's presence there. And that got me to thinking about on this side of the cross, as Christians, as believers, living in a world that is full of sin, sin-cursed. And we are living right now separated from God our Father, which we will be reconciled to Him one day in eternity, and we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. So there's things that I want us to remember. For us as believers today, it's important for us to remember that God's presence is with us always, through his Holy Spirit, when we have asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of our life and to come in and take over in our lives, his Holy Spirit literally dwells within us and he promises never to leave us, never to forsake us. So when we commit our lives to follow him, it's God's Holy Spirit that teaches and guides us every day of our lives. Now here we see, we see 
Verse 4, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? They had just said, we're so upset. We're so pained about missing Zion and the presence of God and everything that it represented to us. We can't even sing. We, we're hanging up our instruments. We're hanging up our harps and the willows. We're not even going to take them down. And we're taunted. They're taunted by it. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? You know, this earth that we live on, we're not going to be living here forever. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. And our praise, whether that's in the words that we speak, in the songs that we sing, are so very important for us. Hence the title, Pick Up Your Harp. If you've hung up your harp, if you have just become so discouraged with the things that are going on around you right now, You see things in the world and everything just seems topsy-turvy. That logic has just flown out the window. You can't understand how people are thinking. Take that harp down. (laughs) Open up your heart again. Begin to praise the Lord and begin to be that light that we have been called to be. Remember the little song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And there's a verse, don't let Satan it out and don't hide it under a bushel, let it out. All those things, they're very simplistic songs, but it's the truth. We need to be the light of Jesus Christ in this world. Our praise is so, so important. It's not only important for those around us, but it's important for us to remind our heart and soul about who God is. He is so far above our trouble, and he delivers us. He is our deliverer. He's our redeemer. He's our healer. And not only for us, but as I said before, to the people around us. It's so important for them to hear our praise of God, to hear our encouragement, to not be a follower, but to be a leader, to be brave and to stand and tell our friends and our family what God has done for us and how he's still working through us. We're a work in progress every day that we're here. And thank God that he has never left us, that he is with us. So if you've hung up that harp, how about thinking about pulling it down and begin to praise the Lord again. Things will change. The atmosphere around you will change because of him. We pray today at the end of the program, and we pray this way. We say, Lord, you are Jesus Christ, and I praise your name forever and for eternity. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. Yeshua HaMashiach is his name. Meantime, remember that on Facebook and YouTube and on Bible Discovery TV, we do a prayer meeting Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30 to 4.30. Make sure you're there, and we'll pray for the world. 